This is the MBK Beat with Mark Kashevsky from MBK and Associates, Inc., your place for finding all you need to know about life insurance and how you can get more of your money. Recorded live here in Buffalo, New York, it's time for the MBK Beat with Mark Kashevsky. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the MBK Beat with Mark Kashevsky. It's the second episode of the Case Example series, 12th total episode. It's been a been really informative. I've had a great time learning with Mark, the the uh, the expert here. I'm going to turn it right over to Mark today because he's the expert. So why don't you set the stage for us? Who are we talking to today, and and what plan are we going to break down? Because we're going to go a little bit more detail here and give you a nice John Doe example sort of thing here. So what are we looking at today, Mark? Uh, good morning, Jeremy. Go Bills. Go Bills. That's uh, right. Football season's upon us. Finally. Um, uh, our audience today really are uh, the board, boards, chairman of the boards, presidents of smaller community, privately held community banks, community uh, commercial banks. Uh, you know, in the banking world, you've got publicly held banks, the real large ones, and then you've got you know. The, the, Key banks of the world, M and T fits that profile. And then you get to Bank of America and you know Citibank and those banks and the mega banks. Uh, those are all publicly traded banks, and and their executive compensation packages are a combination of salary, bonus, stock options, and what's known as non-qualified deferred compensation plans. Uh, and the non-qualified deferred compensation plans are really there to make up for the limitations on qualified plan benefits. Uh, but in community banks, it's a different ball game, especially your your, your privately held community banks. Uh, they can't they can't offer stock options. And at the end of the day, whether regardless of the size of your institution. Uh, if you're a community-based bank, you've got two issues. They're the related financial and compensation issues. How do you recruit and retain C-level executives, top-level executives? And how do you provide appropriate executive benefit packages, especially retirement benefit packages, when you're, you know, when you have limitations on qualified plans for those people? Uh, community banks... Well, typically, uh, they're providing compens- salary compensation, and you'll see a, a number of them offering non-qualified benefits, typically non-qualified deferred compensation. The problem with non-qualified deferred compensation is you can't vest that benefit until they retire. So it's, it's not going to keep people there, per se, as opposed to stock options uh, M&T may offer. They're going to vest over time. So the, there's a huge incentive uh, with public banks for an executive to go there because you know, I'm, I'm going to get something even if I don't stay the full length of time. You can't do that in a, in a, in a community, privately held community bank. So how can, how can a community bank offer something different that is a re- recruiting and retention tool, not just something that's going to show up if you're there when you retire? All right. Well, endorsement split dollar is an answer to that quandary. 
unlike um, non-qualified deferred compensation, which is typically funded with what's known as corporate-owned life insurance, or COLI, C-O-L-I, uh, endorsement split dollar uh, uh, is, is, is a viable planning tool for the community bank space because it will provide vesting and it, it, it's not subject to FASB liability rules, which is a big issue uh, with, in the commercial banking. And uh, for it, it, it meets regulatory banking regulations under something known as Regulation O. So it's permissible. You can provide this to an executive. It passes muster under Regulation O. It doesn't have uh, uh, FASB liability issues, which you do have with deferred comp, and you can provide vesting. So how does it work? Well, first of all, what you do is you provide, the bank selects a group of employees they want to cover on a discretionary basis, just like they can with other non-qualified plans. There are, there are some limitations. Uh, there are top hat rules and uh, you know who fits into this, but as a general rule, you can pick the group you want on a discretionary basis within some limitations. Number two, the bank then purchases permanent cash value life insurance policies on these executives based on a benefit level they're trying to fund, and then they execute split dollar agreements, which will typically outline, you know, who gets what if or when they leave, when they leave, or if they die. And this is all pursuant to internal revenue reg regulations that have been around for a long time that were recently updated, well, updated some years ago, but they're, you know, they're, 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 we're not guessing. These are things we can do. Uh, additionally, these plans, because of the way they're structured and funded, the community bank, if they choose to, can fund a supplemental non-qualified deferred comp that has no vesting until you retire. And you can use the same monies from the same contract to fund it. Without it, in other words, you can get a two-for-one on this, on, on, on this without having to fund separate plans. And, in other words, write two checks. By writing one check, the bank can fund this retirement benefit with vesting, and if they choose to, set up a deferred comp plan that can also be funded with some of the money out of here without hurting the original benefit. Pretty neat trick, okay? Um, what, do you, what, what ends up happening for the executive is the executive's gonna have a vested retirement benefit. In other words, if he stays 10 years, He's got a vested retirement benefit. It's locked in. Uh, in the meantime, there's a life insurance death benefit, income tax-free to his, his personal estate beneficiaries, and it's typically a substantial seven-figure figure benefit. And the only downside or uh, qualifier is under split-dollar regulations, he has to pick up some imputed, what's called imputed income, for tax purposes, and it's a minor number. I'm going to show you what those numbers look like. Very minor number. Uh, for the community bank, they've got a legitimate, you know, retention tool to recruit to. Uh, 
All the cash building up in these policies is treated as a bank asset. And at either at death or at retirement, they will get back all their money, and sometimes money plus interest. And it's very the, the regulatory uh, uh, oversight is minimal. Administration is very simple. It's, it, it, it's a win-win situation. So let's go through an example if I can, okay? This is on a male age 45. Uh, he's healthy. And we will, in, in this case, the bank's chosen to fund uh, on a kind of a defined contribution basis $100,000 a year into this contract for 10 years. It's all done in 10 years. And that would be coming from the employer? Yeah, this is a, the bank. The bank is writing these checks to the insurance carrier. And this is going to, this is going to, since I'm left-handed, I'm going to have to do right-handed here. But that's going to provide a $2 million, excess of $2 million death benefit. And under the split dollar agreement, what happens is the bank is always guaranteed that they will receive all their money back at, de at death if it happens before retirement. The balance of the death benefit is paid to the state beneficiary. So, for example, at the end of 10 years, this death benefit's grown to $3.1 million. They've put a million in. If I'm that executive and I die in year 10, they're going to get back their million dollars, and I'm going to, my family's going to get $2 million. So that's kind of the front end, but what happens uh, as time goes by? Now let's go out another 10 years here and see what happens at retirement. At 65, uh, you have a contract, actually at 64, if we go back here, the, uh, the contract has over $2 million of cash in it. And we're basing this on roughly a 6% interest projection. And at 65, we've got over $2 million of cash in there. What's going to happen if the bank decides to do nothing else, they're going to get their million dollars back plus out of the contract. We're going to take a loan out of the contract. And we're going to reimburse them, and that's a taxable event to the executive. We're going to reimburse the tax cost to the executive, so there's no, he's not having to foot the bill out of his personal assets. So it becomes, in that sense, tax neutral to the executive. But the bank gets a million dollars back, and we give the executive enough money back to cover his tax liability. But after that, because of the way this contract works, and there's still almost a million dollars in here, but because of the way the, the, the distribution of provisions work, we're able to pay over $140,000 a year tax-free for life to this executive. If we, assuming we earn 6%. Now, these contracts have averaged over 7.5%. We don't show that. We can't show that. And there's some enhancement provisions we can't show either. So these are very conservative projections. So, and there's still a death benefit, by the way. Okay, now it's going to go down. But all the way through here, even if you get out to age 94, there's a still a million dollars of death benefit after we've distributed all this money. And the banks 
got all their money back. If they choose to, they can take that million dollars and fund a supplemental benefit at, at retirement. Well, I mentioned something about the tax cost to the executive. What happens, what's that all about? Well, based on internal revenue rulings, which were updated 10, 15 years ago, they have, there's an economic benefit, even if the bank is paying for this, there's an economic benefit to the, to the executive. Well, what is it? It's the insurance benefit. What's that worth? Well, it's worth the term cost. So based on uh, Pacific Life's yearly renewable term rates, of that $100,000, the death benefit term portion has to be reported to the executive. As you can see, he has to pick this up as imputed income and the t actual tax due, okay, the, the amount payable is peanuts. It's hundreds of dollars. These aren't my rules. These are the government's rules. So it's almost a no, you know, it's a round, it's not even a rounding error. It's a small number. So that, that pretty much, you know, covers it now. Jeremy, do you have any questions? Yeah, I have a couple of quick little questions as I sort of attempt to follow around, follow you, and that's again. Did, did, didn't I make myself clear? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> did it, I make myself clear? You just you, you you see you hear these things, and this is obviously why we wanted to continue to record these podcasts because we feel that it could be extremely beneficial to those out there, and you can't exactly communicate these things in greater detail over a website or a quick video, so. A few questions here. Um, you know, you mentioned the ten-year um, and that 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 vesting and and some somewhat of that like retention. I wanted to hear a little bit more on that because I see here obviously this is that ten years where they make that Cut that commitment. happen, All and right. then so it, in the event that that executive were to leave at that point, they would would they still be entitled if they have that ten years invested if if they've put that 10-year time in? Uh, that's a good good question. At the end of 10 years, uh, uh, and this can be compared to the agreement, at the end of 10 years, uh, you can vest the employee so that this contract stays in force uh, until such time as uh, uh, the cash is sufficient to reimburse them and then provide the retirement benefit. So you can keep this in place there's no more cost to the to the executive. The company just keeps it until retirement, and then um, pursuant to the agreement, if you put this in the agreement, we will keep the after ten years we will keep the policy in force and hand it over to you at sixty five. It's kind of like let's assume uh, you worked for the state, and after twenty years you're fully vested. But you're only 45. You can't get your money until 55. Well, you're still going to get your money, but they're holding on to it until that day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. I would. I would imagine. That's a good question. That would help with sort of being able to recruit if you really, you know, you had that high-profile potential employee that you wanted. Obviously, we talk about being able to recruit. That seems like a nice piece, especially for someone younger, maybe 40 to 45, that might not think of this stuff already. They might not be thinking down the line at that point, in, in, in my opinion, it would seem. And then another question I had was just regarding the um, 
a little bit more about the process of the the selection of the group and and what that looks like in the real world. Smaller groups, larger groups. Does it depend? Well, in, uh, the the various sections of the Internal Revenue Code they define highly compensated employees. And you know, if you think you're highly compensated, essentially you are. And uh, those are management, executive level, you know, types of people. And if for some, you know, those are the people that are eligible for these plans. And uh, uh, in the deferred compensation world, uh, under under uh, uh, IRS regulations, you're creating what's known as a top hat group. And then there's certain regulations you have to abide by. Well, in split dollar, that doesn't happen. Split dollar is fairly discretionary, uh, but you still have to, you know, establish uh, uh, agreements to, to define everything. So, as opposed to having to deal with federal regulations, you're dealing with, you know, uh, IRS requirements that say you need to, you know, you need to establish a split dollar agreement and there that defines how this thing is administered and regulated and the only uh, real t- issue is the tax issue for the imputed income and that tax issue for the imputed income is that the figure that we were looking at yeah the highlighted figure is the imputed income and the tax is what you actually pay in other words yeah in in that example, if there was a seventeen hundred dollar imputed income, that's what I get on a ten ninety nine from my employer, but that, I didn't get the money. It, it's in considered miscellaneous income, so I have to pay tax on that. It's phantom income in a sense. It is phantom income. I got the benefit. I didn't get the cash, but that's what that's what it's worth. So I have to pay tax on that number. And if it's you know if I'm in a thirty five percent bracket, it's a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, that's. Not not too significant. Yeah, here, you know, you know, uh, for three or four hundred dollars, my family's getting two million dollars of life insurance. <laughs> I can't sell a term policy that cheaply. Right, right. Uh, but those are the regulations, and that and and the, they say, you know, w- what's the one year term rate this company charges for a term policy? That's what it is, and you're not even paying that. You're just paying your tax liability on that number. It seems like. It would be a no-brainer if anybody were to be able to sit down. And, and now this, this sort of John Doe example, would, would this be something that you would work with someone and be able to just sit them down and, and plug their sort of figures into what they would be able to look at this similar chart? Absolutely. You know, there's, there's two ways to skin the cat. One is we want to put so much money away for this executive or this group of executives, or we're trying to get to a re- retirement number based, you know, so you reverse engineer the the premium dollars based on what, you know, you're trying to target as a benefit. And and, and this being sort of a baseline example, how much variation do you see with these types of plans? Is it sort of, is it easy for you to, to take and look at someone's pretty simply and know that this is right for them or this might not be? Well, we're, we're targeting really closely held banks, they are. This is really something that fits that profile. Yeah, this is specific. For a publicly, for a publicly traded bank, uh, they're going to, you know, they're spending, there's only so much money they're going to spend on the executive. And if they're, you know, money's going to stock options and, and deferred compensation, 
which is typical, they're probably not going to look at this. It's the smaller, closely held banks that are trying to hold on to or get some good talent in. That you know, they can, basically we're trying to use this to compete against stock options. I have one last question before we get out of here. I know you have a busy day today. I've never really asked sort of this question, but geographically, what we, we we're here in Buffalo, New York, but who who could this policy help in in the country around the country? Well, uh, and how does that work out? Well, this 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 contract can work in all fifty states in, in D.C. If I'm dealing with a New York company, though, we have to do business. We have to cite us out of New York to do the do the business. Okay, and there's regulations for that, and they're pretty specific. Uh, the, the problem in New York is uh, you've had a plethora of insurance carriers leave New York because of the regulatory environment, mm. and uh, it is what it is. Um, and uh, a lot of your better companies that just don't want to do business here anymore, so we have to kind of work around it. You know, it really primarily applies to life insurance, on health insurance and disability insurance. It's not that big an issue, but uh, on, on life insurance, it is. And you feel this could help. A lot of people around the country, I would have to imagine, outside of our little wheelhouse here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are a lot of community banks that aren't public, that are controlled by families, and that's that, that's the other thing. You know, This is great for a family situation because you're taking care of the family. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, there aren't too many opportunities where you can take money, get your, get your money back. You know, to think about this in terms of benefits. When you buy a benefit for an executive, you write the check, you maybe take a deduction. This is not deductible. But if you take the deduction, that's it. You never get your money back. And if the executive leaves, well, it's, it, it is what it is. Here, you're getting your money back, and you're building up an, uh, 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 on a tax-deferred basis sub- substantial assets to create significant non-taxable retirement income that's not subject to market conditions. It's huge. And what what would someone need to do to get started? Call MBK and Associates. <laughs> it's that simple, folks. Just give Mark a call. He can take a look and let you know if this isn't the right plan for you. There's one out there. Go back, check out a couple of our episodes. We're going to keep breaking these down, giving you more information because we just feel it's it's got to get out there, and we think we could help a lot of people. Super, Jeremy. Thanks for your time. Thank Go you, Bills. Mark. Go Bills.